Should your business always chase market share with the philosophy of bigger is always better? Well, consider this. In 2021, Aston Martin sold just over 6,000 cars across the entire globe. While Toyota sold almost quarter of a million of just one model, the Corolla, here in the US alone. But I bet I know which car you'd rather be driving. My dad once summed up this size quandary with some of his classic sage-like advice. Son, marry a woman with small hands. Thanks, Dad. Hi, Heidi, and hi, Brent. Hello. I will, of course, say that size always does matter. No, I mean, doesn't matter. <laughs> but um, in, what, in what context are we uh, talking about size, Heidi? This was a somewhat interesting adventure. We'd been on the road with a couple new projects we're working on, and we needed to fly into France and flew on the only all-business-class airline. Ooh. And it's an airline most people haven't heard of because it's La Compagnie. I think they own three airplanes. Wow, okay. Yeah, so, they fly to Paris and Nice and Milan. Yes. And that's their routes. And that's it? Out of Newark Airport in New Jersey. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's not a European airline. It is a French airline. It is a French airline. It, ah, but it flies out of America. Yeah, yeah. and it, it was a fabulously interesting, immersive adventure in how can you be small and agile, and what can that buy for you as a brand? Ooh. That, well, that sounds very interesting, but I want to get to the nitty-gritty here. So this is an entire plane full of business class seats, food, drinks, the whole kit and caboodle? Yep. Yep. Yeah, well, and when you think about that, the entire airplane has 72 people on it. You need less staff because you have less people. Everybody's more comfortable. Most everybody just fell asleep pretty much immediately because it was an overnight flight going. So when you think about just the cost benefit of running an all business class airline, and when we looked at the prices, the prices were comparable to getting on Delta or United or Lufthansa in a business class seat. Um, That's interesting. I was just going to say, because 72, I mean, if you're a bean counter at United and I say 72 passengers on a transatlantic flight, I mean, you're foaming at the mouth, aren't you? Yeah. yeah. On, how, on how you'll make those numbers work. How do you make those numbers work? And part of yeah. it is they are flying newer aircraft, which are more fuel efficient. Excellent. Which helps them. And they're flying yeah. high revenue routes, routes where they know they're going to have the seats full almost no matter yeah. what. High frequency routes. And they have a 25 to 1 ratio of passengers to airline attendants, which ups the service factor for your passengers, and it massively lowers your overhead costs. So they are flying on the quietest airplanes that have the lowest jet fuel burn that saves them money from operating. So you're getting a better experience, but also at a more economic level when you target it to this one unique market. And on the other side, you could take the A380, the Airbus 380, that has over 600 people in it. And the number of staff you need and the amount of fuel you burn to get those 600 people somewhere. There has to be a lot of analysis done as to why buy the A380 and fly 600 people 
only if you can fill it every time. And then find an airport that you can land at because... Right, and that's mm, become you know. a problem for them also. Only so many yeah. airports will take them. Mm. Uh, I mean, there was a lot of debate going on at the time when the A380 was being developed. Airbus was edging its bets on the sort of 747 evolution. Lots of people going to a single destination. Whereas Boeing with the Dreamliner was saying, no, it's really about getting people from hub to hub and connecting them. I guess it looks like because they've stopped building the A380 that perhaps Boeing was right. Yeah, now we have all these double-decker jetways that aren't being used. Yeah, it it was (laughs) a really interesting that this was a business trip for us. So, you know, you've got your luggage, you've got your focus, you're thinking about where you're going, you're imagining what you need to do to get through the flight. I wasn't thinking about the experience much when we stepped on board with this airplane. I was like, hmm, okay, business class only airline could be interesting. It was physically shocking as an experience. You line up, you get on the plane. I think it took five minutes to load the entire airplane and close the door. Wow. Unheard of. And you physically notice this lower level of anxiety on the airplane. Yeah. As there are only 70 other people there. It's quieter. You are, as a human being, not having that anxiety reaction that you have. So if you want to look at a lot of these problems that we've been having with passengers attacking airline attendants and getting aggressive in the air, this was a live-action social science physical experiment in the business sector for take out half the seats. All of a sudden, people are much friendlier. Well, and you yeah, also yeah. You, you alleviate the entire classism of flight, of travel. I was going to ask this very important question. If you're all business class, who do you look down on? <laughs> I mean, when, you know, you're sat in business class on the front of United. You can just look at everybody going back to steerage yes. and look down on them. That's how I feel when I'm walking back to steerage. Yeah. Uh, it was relaxing. It was engaging. The staff was very good. Because they didn't have 100 people each to deal with. Absolutely. Uh, I don't want this to turn into an infomercial. We're not being sponsored by this airline, believe me. (laughs) We'll gladly take free flights. We'll take free flights, but that wasn't. (laughs) What really went through my mind is the fact that we've all been sold on the belief that the only business value is bigger is better. Yes, scale, scale, scale. And yeah. we're always distracted by, buy 10,000 rolls of toilet paper. It's cheaper if you buy it by the case. Yeah. We're all of an age to remember when flying was, you know, and I really started flying long distances when I started working. And flying was a really special thing. Yeah. I yeah. mean, you, you sat on that aircraft and your adventure began. It wasn't just a means to get to where you're going. I will tell um, you, on this flight, there was no one with flip-flops on. Right. Right. Back to Heidi's example, you know, do you need to buy two buckets of peanut butter? No. What does that do to your consumption level when you have two large half-gallon buckets of peanut butter? You end up eating more so it doesn't go to waste. How are we influencing society by saying bigger is better, more consumption is a good thing? It makes it cheaper for you. I can see the business case that it makes it cheaper for Lufthansa or United to fly an airplane with 600 seats in it. 
That's their business case. But how often do you flip that equation on its head and say, is that my business case? Is that in my best interest? It's like anything, isn't it? It's, you know, if you're Lufthansa, you are always looking at how competitive can you make those airline tickets because the competition is massive. Whereas if you're a business-only airline service, you're adding value to that ticket in it's it's almost as if they've taken air travel back to what it was in the 60s both from the price scale as well as from the experience and technology has allowed them to do that because the fuel efficiency in the aircraft have caught up to that business model and this airline has been in business for about 10 years now how often do you question your assumptions on this given wisdom of we need to maximize, we need to always expand. Yes. Because this airline does something very specific on routes where it is financially feasible under a very decided model. They're not going to expand to fly Tulsa, Oklahoma to Helsinki. That's not their business model. And what they do, they do beautifully. Well, and it's interesting because there are a few small airlines left in America. Sun Country is one of them. Pre-pandemic, haven't been on them since post-pandemic. They were a very small niche airline that everything went through Minneapolis. You want to go to Vegas from the West Coast, you're going through Minneapolis. That was their hub. And they were a very good airline. Cost was good. Service was good. And you can do that. But they're a very small airline. So is it that the small airlines can offer service and the big ones have gotten so big that they can offer service at any well, yeah, price? Yeah. The airlines were very keen to sort of copy, and I can I, I can think of this from a European point of view, you know, Ryanair, EasyJet. Yes, uh, They drop the prices of the tickets, then they nickel and dime us on things like, oh, you want to put your luggage on the plane? That's extra. Going back to what you're saying just now, Heidi, you know, if they had shareholders that were pushing them to take a punt on other international domestic flight routes, that's when things are going to start to fold. They need to stick to that sort of business model. Yeah. Interesting you say nickel and dime you. I used to fly out of Baghdad to Erbil on a commercial flight, and they charged you for water in the Middle East, which is insane. (laughs) Yes, it was only an hour and 10-minute flight, but if you wanted water, they would charge you. It was amazing. I do find it really interesting. I think that every one of our clients should really take the time to ask, what do we do really well, and what value do we offer? Not cater to everyone but choose what impact you want to make. And that's kind of why Orgology has stayed somewhat small and boutique-like. I don't really yeah, like the yeah. word boutique, but we are a fairly small organization, so we can offer that level of service to our clients. Ultimately, I think what this example says is, instead of trying to constantly cut the price of the product, think how you can turn it into something that has value added. What's interesting about what you put out there is we keep talking about in this podcast from the labor hiring perspective that what is the actual value that you offer. This is from the opposite perspective. What value are you really offering clients? And I think that if there's something we're looking at post-pandemic, it is really this, what are those intrinsic values beyond cash on the table and size matters? Size does matter. 
And don't oh. undervalue your size. Big it up. <laughs> right. What have we got going on next week, Heidi? We're going to talk about what's important to you. Any more info on that? Sounds sort of like a therapy session, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. Lie on my couch and tell me what's important to you. <laughs> Thank you so much, Brent and Heidi. I will speak to you next week. All right. Next week. Talk soon.